0: That term settled science always makes me laugh because anytime I've had apologetic conversations with unbelievers, they talk about how science is so great because it changes. I'm like, <laughs> it then you can't have settled science. That's not how it works. again welcome good morning good evening whenever you're listening to us uh, i am wes uh, here with alex for another episode of the apt cast applied philosophy and theology how you doing today alex oh
1: man i'm good what's up happy people hey i finally figured out where i got that from
0: oh good where, where is that
1: uh a dude called deer meat for dinner he's a youtuber he used to be a professional boat captain uh running charters in florida uh, I think he's in Jupiter, Florida, and now he just runs a YouTube ca- uh, channel. He's a good Christian dude and coolest guy you ever meet. Uh, I didn't even realize I had picked that up from him, but I've watched a lot of his videos. So cool dude if you like uh, fishing or uh, free freediving spearfishing or adventure stuff. And definitely if you like filleting your own fish and cooking it in different, weird, random ways, that is the guy to watch. <laughs>
0: So if you like deer meat for dinner, then perhaps you'll like the YouTuber deer meat for dinner.
1: Exactly. (laughs)
0: Good deal. So for those listening on, you can catch us on your favorite podcast catcher. Please subscribe. If you feel so inclined, you can see us on Facebook, facebook.com slash apt podcast. Go like the page. That'd be fantastic. Speaking of, we've got uh, some new likes today and I am woefully unprepared to call everybody out. Let's see. I'm going to check notifications. I know we got some.
1: Hey, I saw Ariel Bathke, one of our new members who got baptized two weeks ago, was on the list. Hey, Ariel, thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, Ariel Bathke is one of them. Justin Mark Searle and Natalie Cohn, uh, we found out, which is a fellow podcaster locally. Maybe we can have her on the show sometime. And homeschooler. She and my wife should get together. Man, we need to do a topic on education. Yeah, we do. That'd be great. Oh, that maybe, should be next. Maybe, maybe we can save that for when Natalie's on. We can get yeah, a homeschool yeah, mom's perspective. We can do that. That'd be good.
1: Hey, you got you got to toss in our iron sharpening iron. Oh yeah. The appcast where iron sharpens iron. Loves that. Yeah.
0: Yes, yeah, the appcast where iron sharpens iron, and then we poke each other with the pointy ends. Yes. I got to figure out how to work that in more seamlessly, but that's right. that's going to be a good tagline.
1: Casey giggled like a schoolgirl last night when he mentioned that, uh, he said that that has to be our tagline, like our state, our actual motto. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and I like it. I agree. We definitely yeah, well, point each other with the pokey end.
0: Our, um, cover photo. Maybe I'll caption that with, uh, yeah, with that tagline. That'd be good. Nice. But, uh, thanks again for those who have liked the, the page on Facebook um, hope you enjoyed that shout out. Uh, hope even more that you enjoy the content we put out. Um, also, one of the things that Alex and I both uh, appreciate is any feedback from listeners. So if you've got questions about a previous episode we've done, if you don't think we covered a topic adequately, let us know. Uh, we're both active on Facebook individually, so you can reach out to us. We'd love to engage with you. Uh, maybe have a supplemental episode come out. Uh, to cover some topics, or if you've got an idea for a topic that uh, we haven't heard that you want to, let us know. Uh, We'd love all that engagement. Uh, Anywho, like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. I think I've covered all of the other things.
1: Yeah, not so much. Uh, I would add in that uh, if you disagree with us or have additional information that shows we're wrong or incomplete on an idea, please feel free to share that too, because... We have a lot of opinions, but we don't claim to be flawless and perfect.
0: Absolutely. We are not above correction. So, yeah, good call on that. And speaking of uh, correction, this topic today is one that uh, many of our listeners and and actually I myself have kind of waffled on and uh, changed perspective over the years. Uh, We're getting into global warming. I'm sorry, climate change. You can't call it global warming anymore, can you? <laughs> <laughs> no, because they changed it so
1: that no matter how the climate changes, it's 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 man's fault.
0: Right. Uh, fun times. Well, fifty years ago it was a global cooling, twenty years ago it was global warming, and now we just, you know what? Climate change, period.
1: Yeah, climate change. Anthropogenic climate change.
0: Anthropogenic. So yes. let's start by explaining that term for you know our <laughs> listeners who don't understand what it means.
1: Anthropogenic, primarily man caused. That's that's literally the layman's. Uh, thanks for shouting us out. We could go layman's cup. That's the layman's term, uh, for what anthropogenic means when applied, at least when applied to climate change. So you have climate change that is the naturally occurring cycle of the world, and it's mostly tied to the energy output cycle of the sun. The the right. sun is cyclical, right? It, it's not. Your typical variable output star, where it can change drastically, like life destroying drastically every few hundred years, but it does have like a tens of thousands. I think it's something like twenty six or fifty thousand year cycle of uh, highs and lows, and it does have a, a shorter cycle than that. That's not as extreme as the recorded fifty thousand year cycle. And that yeah. is if you're an old Earth believer and believe the Earth is <laughs> billions of years old, right? If, you, if you're if you a young Earth believer, then uh, the science is wrong.
0: <laughs> well, anyway. I mean, we're just on the on the still in the first half of that 50,000 year cycle.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they, they, scientists have enough uh, data and fossil records and uh, ice layers and stuff like that, right. that they believe they have the data to show tens of thousands of year cycles across tens of millions, hundreds of millions of years. So uh, we're not going to get on another tangent about the ancient earth, natural sciences and the presumptions they have to base their science on. uh, We're here to talk about the earth
0: right now. Yeah. We're talking about the
1: earth right now. So climate change, Um, just jumping right into it. The, the, The anthropogenic climate change, man-made climate change models show that human activity since the Industrial Revolution has increased greenhouse gases. Gases that change how energy is absorbed and radiated away from the earth uh, are the primary or at least a primary factor in climate change around the world. That is the basis for climate study, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's more to it than that. Uh, There's the study of macro and micro, just like in economics. The macro would be uh, an entire ecosystem like the rainforest or on an even larger scale, the world and right. then the micro would be a local fish population or deforestation in a state and how that's affected mudslides and stuff like that right so you you've got whole ecosystem like the oceans around the world would be an ecosystem and then the world's total ecosystem would be macro scale and then you've got micro scale micro scale human changes are absolutely destroying small sections of the world's environment in a way that the available science shows we may never recover from, right? Uh, over over Overfishing and overharvesting of different types of animals is causing their decline. Like in the early U- U.S. history, uh, killing off the buffaloes, right? right. Uh, th- now, that was done with a specific purpose to make it impossible for native americans to continue life as they saw as they were uh to starve them out or force them into smaller areas so they could be managed but even if it's not social engineering kind of related there are still micro changes what i would call micro changes to the environment that are destroying things within the environment in a way that science is showing us is, is probably not going to be repairable or replaceable. So there is real climate change going on man made climate change is it the primary or even a primary factor is what is in question for most people not whether man has an effect on the environment.
0: Yeah, I think that's really where the the difficult part is for a lot of us to to really grasp is that there seems to be a general understanding that man is responsible for at least most of the current climate change that we see and that we can record. And yet when it comes to specifics, well, how much of this is, uh, or what's the percentage of the impact of humans on this climate change? What's the percentage of the climate change that's directly caused by humans? We don't really have any solid answer to that question. And before we get uh, I guess, too deep in the weeds, I think it's a really good thing to mention that something like the environment uh, and environmental causes is uh, an area that Christians specifically should be able to speak with even non-Christians about because if we look in the Bible, even before the fall, there was a garden and man was created to take care of it, right? So that's p- part of, part of yep. our role as human beings is to steward the environment, to, to rule over the earth and, and subdue it in a way that that's God-honoring. And so when, even when people who hate God or don't care about God or, or whatever they would say uh, come up and have environmental concerns, we shouldn't just dismiss them out of hand. We should be willing to engage in this, but we should do so and, and ask questions to, to help cover the, those ignorances that we have and figure out where it is that we can actually do something to make an impact. So when it comes to, for example, seeing these micro changes, right, if that's something that's really damaging to the local environment, then presumably, at least in principle, that should be an area where Christians are willing to join hands with even non-Christians in the proper stewardship of the environment.
1: Absolutely. So that's that's where today's podcast, that's the perspective today's podcast is coming from. Whatever your opinion on the... Emotional craze that you see in authoritarian governments and primarily the left wing over climate change and what they call climate deniers, climate or science deniers. Uh, even if you disagree with their conclusions, you should respectfully and Christ like humbly come to the conversation willing to have a discussion about the real problems we have caused in the environment cause yep. they they do exist whether they are a primary factor in the change we see occurring in the world is a whole other conversation right so so don't let the the conversation of anthropogenic climate change versus Environmental damage that is objectively caused by people yeah. get obfuscated, right? Uh, don't don't
0: equivocate in, the two. You know, you you bring up a good point about this this seeming polarization. We've seen it in other areas of politics, and we see it increasingly so in this area where you're either a hardcore environmentalist sold out for this anthropogenic uh, uh, climate change, or you're a climate denier, right? And it seems to be no middle ground. Yeah. How has that uh, affected your discussions with people both on, on both poles and trying to find some middle ground to have these conversations?
1: Well, <clears throat> you know, we've mentioned before my interest in the diving community. Uh, even just leaving it there, right, no, not talking about anywhere but the diving community, right? People who dive obviously have an interest in the environment they're diving in. You're not just diving to see green, murky water in a lake. You're diving to see the environment, to enjoy what's going on. If you're just looking at moss or mildew-covered rocks, that you, know, you, you can see that anywhere. You, you want to see a unique environment. Even cave divers, right? They are they're explorers. They're they're viewing areas that only a handful of people have ever seen since those areas were flooded thousands of years ago, mm-hmm. if anyone has ever seen them, One of the most prolific cave divers in the world, uh, who I talked about on episode one or episode three, was, has dove tens, if not hundreds of miles of caves. And that doesn't sound like much when, you're, when you hear that, that size, but when you're swimming at a mile or two an hour, Hundreds of miles of caves is a lot of distance when you're running new line in the cave and creating a new path that nobody's nobody in living memory has been on before. So no matter what the environment, whether it's caves with no fish, no sea life, but lots of cool visuals, stalactites, stalagmites, uh, rock formations that are unique, or you're a recreational... Coral diver, right? You know, right. Coral reef, reef diver. Uh, everywhere in between wreck divers, something I want to get into uh, diving on old and penetrating old wrecks, deep diving, uh, whatever type of diving you're doing, that community is full of people who see m- more than your average person. How dumping trash in the ocean or trash flowing Like the rain we've had, you know, the biblical level, flood level rain we've had in Alabama the last couple of weeks, pushing trash into waterways. We have thousands upon thousands of miles of waterways in Alabama. Uh, The people in the diving community see that. Even in our community, you've got a split between the ultra environmentalists and the more quote unquote conservatives who. Don't view it as the problem, the emotional dire, we got to fix it now, or we're all going to die problem that the environmentalists do. Uh, and it's hard to find a happy medium. It's hard to acknowledge that you're skeptical about man's part in the process of the climate change and the destruction of various ecological environments. Uh, or or the level of responsibility humans have and still be able to acknowledge and have a peaceful conversation with those extreme extreme support of environmental issues side of the conversation because they look at you as a looney tune because you don't agree with them. So anything else you say in agreement with them is dismissed. Because, well, you're a Looney Tune, you you, you're a climate denier, uh, or science denier. Well, no, I'm not. I just questioned the validity of the quote unquote science you're using to get to that point. Uh, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because we haven't finalized the details or formalized it, but w- we are so serious. Uh, a friend of mine, Ian Wilcott, you, you know, Ian's mm-hmm. brother, Adam, right? Yeah. yeah or Ian, um, Ian and I are creating a nonprofit for conservative divers who are aware of the need for and actively involved in conservation of the marine environment. Cool. Uh, And the, the, the entire goal of this group is to bridge that gap between the extremist environmentalists who think anybody who's not primarily focused on the environment and ending damage to the environment by humans and the more conservative people who recognize it's just a power play by governments. We're not actually going to do anything to protect the environment. No, well, not, not that we're not going to do anything. What, what the governments want to do is not going to have the results they're postulating. Right. So uh, billions and trillions of dollars in taxes by the UN and the U S government, are not going to end all man-made climate change. It, it's at best going to have a five percent difference in our climate effect. Well, what's the point when you're making everyone in the poor, impover- everyone in the country and in the world impoverished, except for the few thousand billionaires who are going to, you know, fund the campaigns and get the money from the campaigns to clean up the world. Everybody else is going to be poorer are they, than they are now the government's going to have centralized control of everything, and we're not going to change the environment more than maybe 5%. And that's best case scenario according to UN's own reports.
0: Yeah. And, and that's all based off of what the the Paris Climate Accords, or is that something different?
1: Yes, correct. Paris Climate Accords. So the, the, the real impact was estimated to be a 5% reduction in greenhouse gases. Now, there was more to it than that, but the poison... So there's a shipyard in India where it's called the ship graveyard. It is, I forget which ocean it is. It may be the The Indian Indian ocean. Ocean? Yeah. Uh, But (laughs) well, there's, there's other oceans over there, but that there is a shipyard, several miles long shipyard where dead ships, you know, old retired ships get sent to be cut up and scrapped. You know, there's. Hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of metric tons of various med- metals and materials that can be recycled. And they don't follow EPA-type reg- regulations. For sure. They don't, they don't recycle or properly dispose of the oils and the greases and the fuels and all that. They just let it flow into the ocean. And the people who work in the shipyard die their their life expectancy is a couple of years after they start working there i mean it it is such a toxic environment and it's destroyed miles upon miles of coastline in this area and there's not really any intent desire or effort to correct this problem they just keep on doing it and the world's governments and corporations send their ships there because India pays them more for it because they don't follow any environmental regulations when tearing them down. So their costs are cheaper so they can pay customers more money to recycle the ships. You've got major guilty parties like that. And one thing we lose in American discourse is how much we are actually aware of in protecting the environment. Right. Uh, The Paris Accords, since they were first discussed and unofficially ratified because Obama signed them without the support of Congress, which no formal treaty can be ratified that way. Thanks, Obama. uh, Which is why. Yeah. Right. Which is why (laughs) Trump was able to back out of it. It wasn't a formalized treaty according to constitutional standards. But since it was originally ratified, I say use that term loosely. After Trump backed out of it, we have actually reduced carbon emissions internally more than any other country or entity that was involved in the Paris Accords.
0: Yeah, I I noticed that last year, I was going to say I had a a conversation with a a lefty uh, family member, not going to say his name, but uh, definitely on the the environmentalist side of, of this whole issue. And I found, and I forget where it was, I don't think it was NASA, but it was or maybe it was NOAA or something like that, that actually showed a chart of carbon emissions going back to the early 90s. And since 2000, the U.S. has had the largest decrease in carbon emissions overall. India and China have by far had the largest increase since that time, yep. and since the Paris Accords... Uh, were ratified, quote-unquote. The U.S., from like late 2015, early 2016, is the only entity that actually decreased carbon emissions in the, the two years, I think the study went through 2018, is the only one that actually decreased carbon emissions in that two-year period. And that includes the EU as a whole, that includes uh, Britain, because they were considered separate even though they were technically part of the EU at the time. You know, all all of this. Meanwhile, you have India and China skyrocketing in their uh, carbon emissions. And all of the focus, like you said, it, it's going to do maybe 5%. And that's because China and India aren't involved in this. Yeah. And why why would they? Because it's going to kill their economy.
1: Right. And the, the kicker there is as you said, they are the world's worst and largest increasing percentage wise of their footprint in the world. And China has been partnering with some countries in Africa, trying to develop their resources. They are doing some pretty good humanitarian stuff, but it's not for altruistic humanitarian reasons, right? They're trying to partner with them so they can take their natural resources. But in the process, they are starting to develop some countries in Africa that if their populations start to explode because of industrialization, modernization, then they are also going to increase production of toxic chemicals, greenhouse gases, stuff like that. And this is all before we even consider strip mining. right? Uh, People talk about alternative energies and how battery storage of electric hydro and wind power generation could take our dependence of fossil fuels away. Well, you've got a problem there as well, because currently the best and most feasible technology for storing the energy is lithium battery technology, lithium ion, lithium, uh, lithium iron oxide, lithium cobalt. Cobalt mines in Africa, not Africa, China and the Asian continent are enormous, highly toxic and destroy square miles, many, many square miles of land because they literally just open up the land like the old school way of iron or coal mining Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and strip what they need and then dump huge piles of rock slurry once they pull the cobalt or whatever other material they need to add to the lithium. Now, you have some of the same stuff going on with lithium, but lithium salts and salt flats are so readily available now that it's not as common. Yeah. But the other materials needed for lithium battery technology are so destructive to the environment to mine that we need a different technology for the energy storage for those alternative energy production means for it to be more economical and ecologically friendly than uh, the current fossil fuel. I mean, heck, our, our best solution is nuclear fuel. It's the cleanest With the last two or three decades worth of technological improvements, storing and isolating uh, the waste from uh, fission fuel uh, energy generation Mm -hmm. is much more efficient than it was just a few decades ago. Uh, There, I think it was Clinton who, no, it was before Clinton. Uh, In the '90s or early '80s, there was uh, some problems after after. Three Mile Island, it was exponentially harder to get licensing to build new nuclear facilities. And then Clinton passed some law that made it nearly impossible. Uh, I yeah. forget the details there. But so, no matter how we look at it, you know, unless we just agree to mass die offs of humankind and reduce our numbers by tenfold, you know, from seven billion to a few hundred million. We're going to affect the environment, whether it's the primary effects like anthropogenic climate change proponents believe or not. Humans are going to have an effect on the climate and we can't just stop using technology and the energy that runs it without people dying. Mass dials. We're so dependent on the way the post-industrial world works that if we just shut down like the Green New Deal uh, ending airplane use ending cow farts all that kind of ridiculous <laughs> stuff if you just went cold turkey on all that a large percentage of the population of the world would die off yeah the people don't understand the the path that food takes to get to people all right not just food but all the other resources we deal with Everything you touch is taken from a, if it's imported from another country, it's taken by train and or by diesel big rig truck Mm -hmm. from whatever port it enters the country to your local store where you buy it. Uh, Those don't run on hopes and dreams of a cleaner environment. They, They run on diesel fuel. Um and yes I know trains are actually uh diesel electric the the motors that turn the wheels are electric but they use a diesel generator to
0: create the power that turns those electric motors. Um you mean the conductor doesn't shovel coal into the furnace like they used to do? No, they are much cleaner <laughs>
1: than the old uh oh coal gosh, engine's boiler. Yep. Yeah. Steam engine. Anyway, so th- there has to be a realistic pathway not all this extremism on either end of the spectrum, right? Yeah. You've got people who deny that there's any effect at all by humankind. And that's just foolish. There's seven and a half billion people in this world. Y- you really think we have no impact on the world? So, uh, I think it's like any other argument, Christians are going to have, or conversation Christians are going to have with non Christians. We have to have an apologetic attitude about it. We have to be willing to understand where they come from and humbly and lovingly and kindly converse with them and not be so stubborn or so, not stubborn, defensive in our position that we disagree with their claim that it's settled science that we're unwilling to have the conversation or acknowledge where we actually do create problems. We as, we as humans. So
0: just a side note that that term settled science always makes me laugh because anytime I've had apologetic conversations with unbelievers, they talk about how science is so great because it changes. I'm like, (laughs) then you can't have settled science. That's not how it works. But, um, Aside from that, I think you made a really good point about the attitude that we should have. And one thing that I think kind of feeds into this stubbornness is uh, you know, we've talked about how difficult it is to really figure out the level of impact that we're having on the environment. Because like you say, 7.5 billion people, some of that's going to be negative, some of that's going to be positive. Like, How do you decipher? And we haven't really gotten a good, consistent, metric on how to to measure that impact second to that in this country at least we see that the US has independently led the way in reducing carbon emissions from from a global standpoint and now especially in an election year there's uh, been a lot of focus over the last year or so about things like the green new deal and and how to to change it and you have things For example, like eliminating air travel. And yet the proponents of such ideas are flying private jets across the country to participate in debates and campaign events. And you see this level of hypocrisy and it just kind of fuels this. Now, wait a minute. Why should I believe anything you have to say? And I think it's helpful to take a step back and go, okay, the person that I'm talking to is not flying in a private jet. The ideas are separate from the people who hold them. Yes. So just because the, the face you see on TV is a hypocrite doesn't mean the person sitting across from you or on the other side of the Facebook discussion or whatever is the same way. And I think that's going to be helpful in having these conversations is recognizing the, the value of the person and really giving them an opportunity to explain themselves. Absolutely. And. and in in a situation like this, like with the Green New Deal, there's a lot of stuff that just you look it's at laughable. it and go, "Yeah, who who in their right mind would would do this?" At the same time, the the more I have discussions uh, with people, one of the things that's that's really got me thinking, and I'm I've been a lifelong carnivore. I love me some steak and burgers, num, and num. You, you name it. But there seems to be kind of a growing impulse. That's leading away from meat-based protein, uh, whether it's factory farming and and the impacts there, and and there are environmental impacts to these things. And if we, as a society, as a culture, lead further away from that, then you do have a decrease in, in cow farts because you have a decrease in cow farms. Yes. So. <laughs> so I, I think there's some some applications there. And
1: the the flip side of that is things like soy, and other high protein bean solutions would have to replace the protein in in the cow, in the pork, in whatever chickens. Yeah, no doubt. But the kicker is you have got to clear new land to produce enough of those crops. So you're defore, you're causing deforestation. All right, you, or
0: possibly, yeah.
1: Or you're utilizing, you're over utilizing land. Uh, Most farmers could describe this far more accurately and scientifically and concisely than I can, but large scale farm operations use their land on a cyclical basis. So they don't destroy the nutrient base. So they don't, they don't grow the same thing on the same land every year. Uh, They'll grow different things to use different nutrients or they'll use land uh, in, in cycles uh, the the government and this is a pro, something I have a problem I have with our government uh, the government actually pays farmers not to grow crops and grow other farm produced product products whether it's plant or animal yeah. uh, so as to regulate costs and use of land uh, I, I think, artificially affecting the market like that is uh, a big no-no, but that's a whole other conversation. But so th- there's always... Also, a
0: quick yep. side note, uh, letting the land rest, that's a biblical principle yes. at work. Yes, every seventh we see that year, all the way back in right? Exodus. Yeah, yeah, every seventh year you let the land rest. Yep.
1: So uh, it's not a new concept, but government paying for it or subsidizing it is frustrating to me. The the people running the farms should be able to manage the land sufficiently so as not to have to have government supplements to make it tenable for them to do business. Of course, that gets back into the whole taxation is theft issue and um, (laughs) I digress. (laughs) Anyway, so there are real problems we have to deal with. The green alternatives create their own problems that people are either not educated enough, don't think through the process enough to realize, or just disregard is irrelevant because the person they trust is telling them it's better, right? Uh, So green doesn't necessarily mean better. There was, and it, it wasn't exactly accurate, but there was a comparison of a gas vehicle to an electric vehicle. And mm-hmm. in, in Europe where all the taxes are high and the uh, cost of fuel is high and I forget what all the factors were, uh, they were comparing the lifetime carbon footprint of something like a Tesla to a diesel and to a gasoline internal combustion engine, uh, ICE, vehicle. Right. and the electric vehicle actually had a as high as, if not higher than carbon footprint compared to the diesel in the gasoline vehicle. Now, the kicker is that it it, it took into ca- account the details I was talking about earlier with the mining of the materials for lithium cobalt batteries and stuff like that that isn't necessary for your internal combustion engine vehicle, but it also depended on really high fuel efficiency for the vehicles, which doesn't take into account things like your big rig, you know, your tractor trailer truck kind of vehicle, stuff like that. So the,
0: did did it take into account the manufacturing cost?
1: Yeah. And that's, that's where it came from. So the, the manufacturing cost, the manufacturing process for producing and then running with electricity long term, these electric vehicles was determined to have as high or higher total carbon footprint relative to the gasoline vehicles. And the, the comparison was kind of debunked, but it, it's not totally invalid. And th- th- that's the whole point I'm trying to make is that these green solutions Stuff going on in the background to get you to the "quote unquote" green state are still damaging mm-hmm. the environment, right?
0: Yeah. Just on what know. was it, uh, Greta, when she came over and spoke in uh, Canada, uh, brought that big, you know, green yacht thing, and and then it comes to find out the manufacturing cost of it had a larger environmental impact than a standard yacht would have been. Yep. And then on top of that they flew it back. No, they didn't they to, didn't fly they didn't
1: fly the ship back. The, they flew the crew back.
0: Oh, the crew back. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> so it you still have the the fossil fuels from the the jet and and it's one of those types of things where you go, "Really? Like this is and and somebody who's charismatic, who captures the national attention, you want to be able to root for them." Yeah. Like on a human level, you want to be able to go, yes, that's good. And then you see something like that, and it just, oh. Yeah, when there's such
1: utter hypocrisy (laughs) and blatant falsehood as that. Or, and I mentioned this on a previous podcast, when she was on that train in Germany and sitting in the hallway in the overcrowded train, but she actually had a first-class cabin and was seen using single-use plastic containers for her lunch. Yeah. When she had just gotten through a couple of days earlier bashing single-use plastics and refused to use them and was seen pictured using them. So, it, you you're right. You do want to support and believe people who are so passionate about stuff like that. But when the entire industry, and I call it an industry because as passionate as they are, they wouldn't have a job if people weren't funding it, right? right. Uh the entire industry of climate science. I have never met a climate scientist who was not extremely anthropogenic climate change p- opinionated. Yeah. So if, if the entire field is flooded with people whose own personal feelings on the matter bias their science and their willingness to consider facts that contradict their pre-existing opinions and positions i'm going to question that yeah no matter no matter how much science they provide supporting their position when there are people with no skin in the game on climate science like architects and physicists and thermodynamicists you know world renowned scientists mm-hmm. in other fields that have a relevant component to the models these people are creating, say their models are trash. They don't <laughs> they they don't take it into account all the factors, the natural factors. I mean, for example, our oceans. Uh, there there was the whole raving about the oh gosh, I'm going blank on the name of it. Brazil, um, uh, rainforest, uh, Amazon. <clears throat> thank you. There you the go. amazon rainforest burning uh, the the ultra conservative president letting the farmers burn uh, burn new land to clear to do farming on and all the you know green new deal proponents screaming and ranting and raving about them destroying the world that environment is almost 100% self-contained ecosystem yep it is a, it is approximately Net neutral oxygen generator. Uh, there, there are enough oxygen-breathing animals and life, bugs, et cetera, whatnot, in the Amazon, that all the plant life does not produce a net positive oxygen generation for the world.
0: Right, it's, it's not the, the oxygen, global lungs like we heard about when we were kids.
1: Right, it's not the global lungs like all all the extremists the uh, the word I want to use is escaping me right now the alarmists yeah. are using uh, it it is not the world's lungs the oceans are the world's lungs because phytoplankton and kelp and stuff that goes on in the ecology of the world's oceans is where 90 plus uh, it may not be 90 I think it's 90 plus no. It's not 90 plus percent. It's 70-ish percent of the world's oxygen generation, free oxygen generation that we absorb right. comes from. Uh, farmland produces more net oxygen than any rainforest in the world because it is just used for the plant life growth. Right. And it's not...
0: It's not an ecosystem.
1: It's not a complete ecosystem, yeah. right? It is a man-made partial ecosystem. So, and I forgot where I was going with that. But the models that are used are exposed as being incomplete, not having sufficient data. Humans not knowing the proper data to insert into these models to have, make yeah. them accurate. They say the the science is settled, and yet relevant scientists from other fields say, "Uh, oh, your model's missing this. It gets this wrong. It's it's not yeah. taken into account what the sun or solar winds." or natural radiation of heat out of the atmosphere place it's missing the it's missing the mark in 2015 maybe maybe 16 i forget when it was in the mid 2010s there was an article in a scientific journal noting that there were almost 10 times the number of trees in the world as climate scientists thought they were thinking it was like f- 400, 450 million trees, no, billion, 400 and 450 billion trees in the world. And it was a little over 3 trillion trees in the world. It was almost an order of magnitude more trees than they thought.
0: Yeah. And I saw something, I don't know if it was earlier this year or late last year, there was a graphic that that kind of went viral that showed the largest increase of um, plant life density was actually yes. in China and India yes, globally. So,
1: I mean, carbon dioxide is 0.05% of the atmosphere. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's 0.5. It's 0.5 or 0.05% of the atmosphere. And you're, you're talking hundreds of trillions, if not quadrillions of metric tons of CO2. So a few million tons is one one thousandth of one percent of the percentage of CO2 that's in the atmosphere. But even that actually benefits plant life because they live, you know, carbon dioxide is their oxygen. Yeah. So if there's more of it, they're going to thrive. And what's interesting is in millennia past, it is proven science that carbon dioxide Levels were toxically high for human life, drastically higher than they are now. So, if it was naturally higher than it is now, wh- where's What's the, the problem proof now? that where's <laughs> the proof that human generation of CO two is destroying the world? So, and actually,
0: th- on that little tangent but i remember when i was younger hearing about the dangers of carbon monoxide like the cars running that exhaust that comes out is not co2 it's co and the the way i understood it's a mixture. It, well yeah and and well the once i got into high school and started doing chemistry you've got the ozone layer which is o3 it's three oxygens and so yep. the carbon monoxide floats up interacts with the o2 or with the o3 and the sun's energy and then it it changes to One molecule of oxygen, which is O2, and one molecule of CO2. So one of those oxygens just kind of moves over. And I can understand that from, you know, carbon monoxide goes up, gets converted, carbon dioxide, and is breaking down the ozone layer. When did the focus shift to carbon dioxide emissions? Like That's that's always something that's kind of puzzled me. So what do you have to say on that?
1: So, and... If there's anyone more expert in this field than I am, I'm just a layman on this topic. But I do know the background is tied to when the ozone layer started getting the holes in California in the West Coast. People realized that it was like tetrafluorocarbons, something like that. Yeah. More so than the carbon monoxide from cars. The carbon monoxide was make, having an effect on it. But like fluorocarbons, stuff like that were actually having the same type of chemical reaction as the carbon monoxide taking an oxygen atom from the uh, uh, ozone molecule. Okay. The same kind of effect. Uh, in the 80s and early 90s, emissions standards started changing rather drastically. And one of the things that the environmentalists have a problem with Trump about is he has eased some of the Obama Era EPA regulations for enforcement and application of congressional law passed rules regarding increases in vehicle emissions efficiency. So you have uh, low emissions vehicles. If you see the sticker on one of the windows that says LEV, or uh, P0 partial zero emissions vehicles. Okay. The, the emissions of vehicles has become so low as far as carbon monoxide and dangerous toxic chemicals to the point that water, H2O, and carbon dioxide, CO2, is almost 100% of the emissions of most vehicles. So the catalytic converter absorbs the hydrocarbons that aren't burned for the most part, or burns them. And post-catalytic converter, most modern fuel-efficient vehicles only produce water and carbon dioxide. Okay. Now, carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas because it affects heat absorption. Sure, sure. But the carbon monoxide vehicles have gotten so much more efficient in burning fuels to the point that it's primarily water and carbon dioxide, so that's where that comes. That's where that
0: shift comes that, from. That that makes sense.
1: Uh, it's still a factor. Like you can still kill yourself if you lock yourself in a garage, <laughs> seal all the doors, and <laughs> run your car. There's still enough carbon monoxide produced. Don't try that, this at home. Yeah, that that would kill you before increased carbon dioxide levels killed you. Right, but it's. It's the reactiveness of carbon monoxide, not the quantities of it that would make that still kill you versus, you know, almost completely carbon dioxide production. Uh, One thing it's so carbon dioxide side is what humans off gas when we're breathing. Uh, Carbon dioxide has to be dealt with in diving, Uh, whether in an open circuit system, you're taught to not skip breathe. Pause breath. So breathe in, pause, then breathe out the way some athletes do to regulate their breathing rates. Right. You know, you're taught to breathe in slowly through your nose, breathe out through your mouth, and consistently breathe. Some athletes will skip breathe to force their breathing rate and their heart rate to slow down. Well, the the transition of gases in your lungs is such that skip breathing causes you to retain more carbon dioxide. Oh, so you, you should breathe in and immediately breathe back out, but do so at a controlled rate to slow your breathing rate down. And uh, so the, the environment is doing the same thing, right? When, when vehicles, when planes, when trucks, when trains, when boats, big shipping ships, uh, container ships, cargo ships, produce their off-gassing from fossil fuel burning. The same things happen in the environment that happens in your body when you're diving. It's, Its balance is changing. Its equilibrium of gases is changing. And that's what the climatologists are using to claim that increased carbon dioxide levels are killing the world. But there are scientists with relevant expertise who say their models just don't, aren't capable of giving the results that they're claiming is settled science. So that's where my opposition to the settled science attitude of the climate environmentalist crowd come from. But that said, I'm all for us having more sustainable food sources yeah. Uh, not using farmed chickens where they're sitting in a hen house, you know that's a free mile range. long. Uh, free range, <laughs> free range is a marketing ploy, right? Uh, they they're still in pens. They're just outside in pens. They're not inside standing in their own feces twenty four seven, uncleaned.
0: So we need wild chickens, and you just go out, hit one with a slingshot, drag it in, get your wife to cook it for dinner.
1: Grow your own chickens. You have a you have a half dozen chickens. You can have a dozen eggs every 3 or 4 days.
0: Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah, chicken <laughs> then I got to take care pit. of chicken chicken uh... coops reek. Yeah.
1: You do that. I will tell you what, I'll pay you for some eggs. How about that? Uh, I'll let you grow those free range. I've chickens. got an
0: aunt that's got uh, some chickens, and uh, you're you're right. I've helped her feed them before. They do not smell good at all. Yeah,
1: barf. <laughs> and you can't and you can't use their dung as fertilizer because of the acidity or something like that. So it's not something you could use uh, like cow manure or something else yeah. for fertilizer. So it has to be processed to the point where it's economically untenable to use it reuse it anyway i digress uh so
0: but yeah sustainability is a good thing right yeah
1: absolutely sustainability no matter how we do it is absolutely a good thing give give me all the energy give me fossil fuel give me coal give me nuclear work on a functional fusion source i don't think we're going to see that in our lifetime
0: well that's that's another issue where we see a level of hypocrisy because we, we hear environmentalists calling for clean energy and the cleanest energy source we have right now is nuclear. Absolutely. And yet that is fought almost as hard as any fossil fueling, right? Or or, yes. or any harvesting of fossil fuels.
1: Because when, when it does go wrong.
0: Oh, when it go, does go wrong, it's catastrophic, right? Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, right? But, uh,
1: the, oh, the, the Japanese, oh God, what's the name of that place? Uh, Fukushima. Yeah. So Fukushima is still leaking into the ocean. It is leaking tons of irradiated water into the ocean every day. And there's not really a short-term solution for how to stop it. There are paths, there are charts showing where its radiation has pretty much flooded a, a strip several hundred miles wide of the entire Pacific Ocean between Fukushima, Japan mm. and the west coast of the US. And there a year or two, it's been two or three years now. This is a couple of years ago, dolphins kept showing up dead on west coast shorelines and they had fish in their bellies with increased radiation levels and stuff like that. There was there was the thought that they were tied to the whole Fukushima thing. Right. But it was kind of dismissed as conspiracy theory because scientists couldn't actually tie it to Fukushima. Right, but th- th- there, there's there's no real short-term solution for how to fix that. So it does have its drawbacks and its potential environmental harms that have to be mitigated. But
0: So there's some legitimate concerns with, with nuclear power. So we, we shouldn't expect just wholesale shift from fossil fuels to nuclear anytime soon.
1: Well, we shouldn't accept wholesale shift from fossil fuel to nuclear because there's a limited supply of uranium in the world. That's true. And even if we did shift to nuclear, we could not shift automobiles and uh, other vehicles to it efficiently because you would have to then plant power generation in the roadways like you have for rail cars like. Street trolleys have the overhead rails that power them. You'd have to have that in the ground and electric vehicles that are tied to that grid. It it would be a multi-trillion dollar infrastructure update to do that, whether it's solar, alternative energy powered, nuclear powered. So we're going to be using fossil fuels for certain parts of modern technology for the foreseeable future. But general power generation, uh, a nuclear plant can ramp up or ramp down far more efficiently than gas, coal, hydroelectric, and by any means, uh, wind, solar, or you know, the, the new wave technology type of hydroelectric right. dams obviously have standards. But even they are limited to rainfall and water flow. So if you have a drought year out west, the Hoover Dam can only produce so much water. it has co- the, the Hoover Dam management is private. Did you know that? Uh, it's not publicly managed. It, it's self-sustaining funding. So it's a private organization running the Hoover Dam. They have contracts with all the states and municipalities for power mm-hmm. production and generation. and uh, there are standards to which they can't produce more power, uh, and it's tied to water levels and power generation and future ability. So all that water sitting behind that dam is potential energy. And as right. it flows through the dam, it becomes uh, recognized and gets sent out on the grid. Uh, so even in even in normal hydroelectric, there are limits. Sure, the, the water table availability limits how much uh, water can be run through the generators and pumped out onto the grid. Uh, But one thing that's interesting, uh, my son's competitive soccer team, one of the kids on his team, his dad is the senior turbine engineer for all of Alabama power. He travels all over the Southeast and further up the East coast uh, interfacing with uh, plant generators in helping, I mean, he actually helps guide plants, plant development. Uh, it's it's more than just you know a wrench turner. Right. He is actually part of the planning process. Uh, and he was telling me that solar and wind power are so inconsistent and cyclical that it negatively affects the whole grid to utilize them. Wow. So the coal firing plants, the natural gas plants, and even the hydroelectric plants can't just, you can't just flip a switch like Christmas vacation, right? Yeah. (laughs) And kick a a whole other tier of electricity onto the grid. They have to plan months and years in advance for how much energy will be needed at any one time on the grid. Mm -hmm. So if hydroelectric Is your primary generation, which it is a large portion of in Alabama. You know, the heavy rains right now really help them. Yeah. Uh, The gas and coal firing, if they have to ramp up production to counteract drops in power from uh, solar power generation plants. So let's say. The last two weeks, a solar plant that can produce hundred gigawatts, you know, a, a giant solar farm. Yeah. There's several of them in Georgia. For the last two weeks, they've been producing almost nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Because of all the weather. When when it's not sunny outside, their their efficiency drops to like five or ten percent, or what it was in the middle of the day. And it's an hour or two of production at 5% of their capability instead of five hours at 100% of their capability. So the more reliable sources of energy have to then step up and take over for them. And they have to ramp up. So in states like Alabama and Georgia, where you have a shall provide type law, where the power, Alabama power, Georgia power, whatever, the power company is required by law to provide electricity. They have to plan for dealing with these alternative energies. So it is, uh, it is a negative, a, a government enforced negative for them to encourage alternative energy sources. Uh, it actually makes it less feasible for them to comply with the law that right. governs them to use alternative energy sources in California they don't have that problem because they can deny power to people they have rolling blackouts all the time yep so when they don't have sufficient power, you just go without power for a few hours or a few days whatever yep Deal so with it. <laughs> they support the alternative energy solutions but in the process their people aren't guaranteed power so no matter how you look at it, there's going to be drawbacks. Right. Either Mm -hmm. either the laws that force Alabama power to give us power, no matter what the circumstances, make it untenable for them to use alternative energy sources on a large scale as a larger growing percentage of their power generation. Or you have rolling blackouts and active government support of that alternative energy. So nuclear would answer both problems. Because right. it can be ramped up and wrapped down just like the more reliable fossil fuels and typical dam type hydroelectric solutions and be cleaner like your green energy sources right. so people have to people on both sides of the mm-hmm. discussion have to be more informed than anybody seems to be they they just trust their mouthpieces and don't get into details, and they have to be willing to meet in the middle, yeah. Right. And that's something that's changed with me. I used to be one of those people who knew we affected the uh, environment. Kind of like my political stance, this this was similar. Uh, I used to be one of those people who knew we affected the climate, but was so objectionable to the extremists on the other side that I I just debated them and mocked them in conversations and didn't try to find a middle road, you know, uh, you know, have a handshake moment where we're both trying to protect the environment but recognize that they believe things I don't and I believe things they don't yeah. as far as our the significance of our impact on the environment.
0: Yeah. And, and I've
1: dominated again.
0: Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. That's why you're my co-host. I don't like to talk. But no. And um, yet you love to talk. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's that's, that's 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 me not telling the truth again. Sorry about that. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think we've covered a a good bit of ground. I think it's clear neither one of us are environmental experts or climate change experts. So anybody listening, if you have any uh, stats, facts, studies to either support or contradict something you've heard on here, throw it in the comment section, send it to me and Alex. We'd love to see it. Maybe do a follow-up episode in the future to incorporate some of those things. Um, but I think if nothing else, we've established that uh, for both of us, facts and data matter, but also consistency matters in, in our reasoning process uh, and character matters in how we behave. And so we see the, the issues with hypocrisy on the other side. But I think it's helpful also to remember that these things matter for us, too. So when we're engaging in these conversations, we should be striving for consistency. We should be striving for character in uh acting out what we say we believe so that's all i have to say alex you got any final words no i've talked <laughs> plenty on this
1: podcast it's gonna be interesting to see our relative times oops sorry uh, casey
0: <laughs> casey's gonna be like Wes. i thought you were on this one
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> now it was good times well thanks again for tuning in hope it was beneficial for you hope you learned something thanks for listening y'all have a good day see you next week
2: Lift me, make me more